right on. Welcome to Circuitous Conversations with Bill and Dan, episode 74 for Monday, February 20th, 2012. I am Bill Wadman. And I am Dan Gottesman. I feel like we're at the beginning of 60 minutes. Really? I'm Leslie Stahl. Yeah. Hey, that's pretty good. You doing that with your mouth? Yep. That's really good. Thanks, man. You know what? You are, you're a percussionist. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Among other things. <clears throat> hey, so did you see this whole mountain lion thing coming? Uh, coming? No. I mean... Kind of came out way. of nowhere. It did kind of come out of nowhere. I mean, it, I'm not, like, super surprised. I mean, Apple has a pretty well-established track record of continuing to work on the next thing. Sure. Always. So... Uh, I was a little surprised that it that it came out this soon. Uh, traditionally, historically speaking, they they uh, they make these sorts of announcements in a more grand fashion, uh, usually at WWDC, which is usually a little later on in the year, something you know, as early as March and as late as April. Uh, or no, actually, I think last year it was in like May or something like that. But anyway, uh, I was, yeah, I, I was, I would say I was, I did not see that coming. I was not expecting it. Do you, do you think that the new plan to do annual releases is a good idea? Yeah. Well, if I remember correctly, that was the original plan all along. When um, it started around, like, I think, you know, 10.2 or 10.3, um, that's what they were doing. Uh, in fact, there was even this... Um, but I think Tiger, Leopard, Snow Leopard, Lion, those are all two years apart. Yeah. Well, after... I think what, what what wound up derailing that plan was the transition from uh, power PC chips to Intel chips. Right. I think that took that took a little bit more time and energy than you know than they needed it. Well, because if you think about it, the the first OS that was able to run on both um, was ten four. Yeah, it was yeah, it was uh, um, Tiger. No, Tiger. Uh, that would be Tiger. I think I think there were betas. Was it that they worked betas on Tiger, and then Leopard was the first one? Well, no, there was like a PowerPC version and an Intel version. Like there were explicit uh, installers for ten four. Oh, were there? Um, yeah, there was a ten four Intel and a ten four PowerPC. I remember okay. that. Um, and then when ten five came out, its its big thing was that it was universal, and you could use the same installer on both. Right. So my hunch is that once once you know when they made that transition from from 10.3 to 10.4 and they had to basically maintain two different versions of it that that probably you know added a lot of no i don't know how much extra work but it added some enough extra work to warrant um slowing you know, down yeah slowing down the cycle and then, well, and and they then were also started working on the ios stuff exactly then there's the ios thing which we know start, you know all that stuff starts way earlier than we ever see it so um you know these things have a, like a long-term ripple effect and uh, so, yeah, the, the annual plan just sort of fell fell to the wayside and became more of a biannual. You know, John Sarkisa made a good point last mm-hmm. week on one of those podcasts, and he was kind of like, the problem with it is, is that oftentimes the first few revisions of a macOS release are actually not that great. You know, mm-hmm. that 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 10.6.0 and 10.6.1 and 10.6.2 were all kind of like, uh, it's a little shaky. And it's only when it gets 10.6.3 that it really starts to solidify, right? right? And that took like a year to do. So right. it's like just when they start getting solid, they're going to drop another one, which is a major release. Right. So the question is whether or not the overall um, reliability of the OS, like a lot of people are complaining. I mean, a lot of people aren't that happy with the way Lion 
you know, there's a lot of weird things in Lion that people don't like. Yeah, I haven't. I still have yet to to move to Lion on my primary machine. Yeah, but now it'll get to the point where it'll be harder to do that because, for example, the new messages application they're not going to backport it to even Lion. I know. Which is just like, are you kidding me? Somebody could buy something in July and they can't use the software because a new OS comes out in September. It wouldn't be the first time that's happened. I know, but it's just like, that's the kind of thing where it's like, okay, Apple, I get it that you want to move forward, but come on. Like one version back? Yeah. (laughs) Obviously it works because you're giving us a beta for it right now. Yeah, they do that, man. Yeah. They're they're bastards sometimes. They can be very bastardy. Um, But uh, so anything in there that, that, that... this specifically uh, interesting to you? Um, well, I think it, it's. It seems to me what, what what's what's happening because I I kind of thought when um, when te- so so Leopard came out ten six ten six no ten five ten five ten five was Leopard and then when if you remember Snow Leopard ten ten six didn't take that long I mean I think that was also about a year maybe a little more than a year but not too much. And the difference between ten five and ten six wasn't that big, you know. That right. that was that felt a lot like a maintenance ish update. They're like, all right, well, you know, ten five was a kind of a a crazy thing because that was when we made our transition from Intel to PowerPC. Sorry, from PowerPC to Intel. Um, and now that we've made that, we're going to tighten this up and make it make it good. So so that you know the ten 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 five was a little all over the place, and then ten six was nice and tight. And I got to say, I, I'm still using ten six, and it it's fine. You know, I'm not having any any problems everything works great and you know i'll make the transition from it when you know when i have to but as far as i'm concerned right now from a stability productivity standpoint um i'm going to hold on to it for for now and i think the same thing is happening with 10.7 you know so 10.7 came out and that was a big deal that was like the next that was another new big you know big update next gen they changed a whole bunch of stuff um and now this 10.8 you know this mountain lion uh update is is the tightening you know sweetening so to speak you know finishing touches sort of update um so i could see myself maybe going to 10 8 um once that levels out although it's interesting because with the leopard snow leopard thing mm-hmm. there weren't a lot of new features in snow leopard it was a lot of like weird little under the hood stuff that kind of tightened things up where in this uh mountain lion they're yeah. they're almost updating every damn app in the thing well but they're they're not that's the thing though they're not um the the way I'm looking at it is is a lot of it is more on the surface. It's more like fit and finish type stuff. It's not right. functionality stuff. But, it's not like new technology stuff. They're just yeah. But in, in Snow Leopard, wasn't there a lot of new technology and not a whole there, lot of new there was features? But most of it was under the hood. Yeah, you know, it's kind of it it's the opposite. I exactly. Guess saying, yeah. Exactly. So the, you know, in in Snow Leopard, they were changing the guts of the car. Yeah. Whereas in uh, Mountain Lion, they're changing the trim. You know, they're making all of the. The, the stuff on the outside match, yeah, which is kind of nice. And what do you think about the notification stuff? That interests um, you at all? Well, I I'm a long time growl user. Growl user, so I'll I'll be curious to see. I, I mean, feel bad for the growl people. Yeah, I do too. But again, you know, if history has teaches <laughs> Apple taught us anything, Apple you know has a very very well proven history of taking things from uh, other developers and implementing them on their own. Yeah. Sometimes uh, it, sometimes they do it right and they actually buy it out, you know, buy the company or hire the guys or whatever. But sometimes they just uh, they just do it. It'll be interesting. Um, the whole thing that kind of makes raises an eyebrow is the whole app store thing. Yeah. Um, so I guess for people who don't know, um, 
there are some new features like the notification and all that kind of stuff, uh, which are, from what I understand, only available if you're selling your app through the App Store. Right. Well, I think what, what's happening now... And, oh, and they're, well, they're trying to make it like iOS. They're trying to lock down the application so that they can protect the user or whatever it is, actually what it is, that, so they could take their 30%. Well, or a little a of both. There's a bunch of things happening, yeah. Well, one of the things I think that, that has always been uh, a really a core value of Apple just throughout history um, is, is they, they try to em- embrace the simplicity factor. You know, they, they, really, they really truly and, and, and um, honestly believe that simple is better. Um, I mean, I can't think of a, an easier example than, than the one-button mouse. You know, they held on to that for... It, it's still in, in play today. I mean, too long. Yeah, well, too long for some people. But but the, that's my point. The point is that they believe that simple is better. Sure. And uh, something that seems to have uh, proven that on another on another level is the whole iOS thing. Um, I mean, I think it's 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 safe to say that um, based on these numbers that we're seeing, you know, these quarterly quarterly sales numbers and all that other stuff. I mean, Apple's obviously doing better than it's ever done in the past in all, on all fronts. I mean, they're, they're making tons of money and they're selling tons of products. Um, but I, did you see that spec that they, that someone posted um, that like more iOS devices sold, sold in the last year than all Macs th- in history? I think it was this quarter, dude. I don't think uh, it was, no, it was last, last year. It was 2011. I don't remember, but that's kind of amazing if you think about yeah. it. That's a lot of stuff. It is a lot of stuff. Um, now, some people could argue, all right, well, duh. I mean, these, you know, the iOS devices don't cost more than a, uh, you know, I guess the most expensive one would be like $900 for the, the top, top end iPod, uh, iPad. But um, let's average that down to, say, $300 if you consider all of the iPhones available in, in, and the i uh, iPads. If you had to ballpark up an average price for the number of all of the iOS devices sold, including iPod touches, iPhones, and iPads, we'll say I, I would ballpark it at three three fifty. dollars You know, because okay. some, some of them are really expensive. And some of them are really cheap, so I would I would put it right there in the middle. Three hundred and fifty dollars is a way way easier point of entry than the cheapest Macintosh, thousand bucks. You know, which is at least a thousand bucks, if not more, once you've got all the taxes and all the other crap to, to contend with. So, so there's there's definitely that factor to to consider. But um, but I, here's wh- the thing, though. The one thing I disagree with you on, I, I agree that Apple is focused on simplicity. However, I think that they use that as a good excuse, a good justification, or a good rationalization for uh, getting in a much better business. That 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 they'll they'll use that as a justification when really it's about the money. Well, yeah, I'm. You know, like I'm I think gonna... you're giving them the benefit of the doubt when I think they go, "Wow, if we lock this down, we can make everyone, everything, every app anybody buys for the Mac, we get a cut of." You know. Well, yeah, I, I guess. Yeah, I, I hear your hear your point. What I was gonna what I was gonna say before though um, was the simple thing. Really, it makes it makes a lot of people's lives uh, easier. And the 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 the, the, the double edged sword there is that you're sort of placing your trust in in this company. You know, hoping that they make the right call when it comes to in in some cases we'll we'll say approving an app for sale on either the you know the app store or the or the uh, iTunes music store for the for the iOS stuff sure uh, and and some of the other stuff too you know some of the sec- some of the security stuff you know um and there is a part of me that's like you know that's not cool you know i should i i i feel like i should have a say in what i think is good um you know 
like like shareware, you know, pro- programs that I can go to the developer's website and just download and install myself. But at the same time, I think about situations um, where I'm, I'm reminded that I'm I have always been and I continue to be in a pretty small minority of computer users who have a you know firm a, a tighter grasp on what's going on. The app you know, store thing you, is better for your mom, but it's not better for us. Of course, that's yeah. So and if you think about it, there are way more moms out there than there are us Mm -hmm. and so in the grand scheme of things i think it makes it makes sense and it's not a bad thing i mean don't get me wrong there's bad things about it for for folks like us but that's not apple's only concern no but i don't i don't think it's a bad thing if they always keep an option for doing it yourself my worry is that this is just a step towards you can't install anything we don't approve well, yeah, I don't, I don't. Yeah, that would be bad. That's and I, that, and that's what I worry about. You know, I don't think that's gonna. I don't think it's ever gonna get that far. Well, you know, I, I just. I mean, I sincerely hope it doesn't get that far. I, I mean, that. like, look, I, that that precludes a lot of open source stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I don't. Know, it just it gets it gets tricky. Mm-hmm. Uh, very quickly. It does. Um, so it's interesting, yeah, and I and I and I also wonder. I mean, you know, I run my main machine is this Hackintosh. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder, part of me thinks that Apple, just to be D-bags, will find ways to shut all that down, you know? Well, but at the, the same I mean, t- but that's their, that's their thing. I mean, you're technically breaking their rules yes, as, of course, as, right. as you are right yes, now. Yes, I'm breaking their EULA, but I, you know, I, I paid, I did buy the software and that kind of stuff, so I don't feel that guilty about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the flip side of that is that it's like, well, there aren't that many people like the amount of people running Hackintoshes. There's probably a hundred thousand people total. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. It's not that big of a community. True. Um, and the people who are, are nerdy people who wouldn't be like, they wouldn't say, Oh, if I couldn't get this, then I'd go buy a Mac pro, you know, mm-hmm. they're the people who are doing this cause it's something different and they end up being more evangelists than a lot of those super Mac people, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I just it's it's. I just I like one of the things that I really liked about Mac OS is the fact that you know it's based on Unix, so it has all of that stuff underpinning it, and and it, you're able to do. For example, I was working on uh, a friend of mine needed some stuff coded in HTML, and I I used to do this stuff, and so every once in a while, every few months, he'll send me this thing and be like, "Hey, you want to do this thing for a few hundred bucks?" I'm like. Yeah, why not? It's like almost like a puzzle for me, because mm-hmm. it's actually kind of fun trying to figure out how to put those things together. Sure. Um, and so I needed to work on this thing a couple weeks ago, and uh, it turned out that to do what I needed to do, I needed uh, to put it on a web server because it needed PHP. Okay. Which is fine. Now I could have put it up on one of my actual web servers, but I was like, you know what? I love to do that locally, and so I turned on Apache and I got. PHP running by editing one text file. Sure. Like it's all, it's uncommenting all one line of a text file and PHP was working and everything worked fine. Yeah. Now, doing that on a Windows box is a lot harder, right? Because obviously it's not based on Unix, so it's not easy to just install all this Unix stuff. Uh. Um, and it's funny because I've heard people say, oh, that's, you know, Macs are so easy for developers because of that. It's like, no, they're so easy for developers because it's based on Unix. Yeah. You know? it's, you it's, know, not, it's not that like OS... You know, uh, the the old Mac OS, uh, what would it be, 7 or System 7? It's not like System 7 or OS 8 or 9 were that easy for developers, you know? Well, they it's, were they were easier within their little communities. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Apple, Apple has a pretty good history of putting together 
uh, I, at least I, from what I remember, because um, I never actually used the tools, but I was, you know, I worked for a couple of companies and I've had a couple jobs where software was made and, and we were part of the developer program. And I, I just remember, there, you know, they, they would send tons of, of disks with all kinds of cool tools and yeah, yeah. You know, for, there's for, lots of for Apple development. But I guess right. what I mean is that like a lot of the web development stuff that people love oh. about Apple, that's oh. all because of Unix and that has nothing very yeah, little yeah. to do with Apple. That makes sense. Um, and it was, it was very cool to be able to just install this stuff, you know, just get it running. And I'm running basically like a little Unix server underneath my main desktop. Right. Um, and it worked out really well and it's great. Fantastic. Um, it, it, it scares me that there will get to be a point where I can't easily do that because they want to make sure that I can, you know, check my email correctly on, you know, you know what I mean? No, I, I hear what you're saying. I, That's I think, the stuff that scares me. Yeah. I don't think it's going to go that far. I, I don't know. It could be okay. We'll see. I mean, I could be wrong. They've um, definitely surprised me in the past. Right. So. so anyway, that's that's the one thing that that scares me about the whole thing. Fair enough. Uh, it's interesting though. I wonder if they're somebody made a point. They wonder if they're going to keep charging for Mac OS. Why wouldn't they? Well, because I mean, once it gets down to a year cadence, it's kind of like, well, you know, you give away iOS because you make the hardware. Hmm. That's a good you point. know, it's a good point. And then they make you think about it. It's like, like about you know thirty dollars now. Well, yeah. I mean, it used to be. Hundred well, it used to be like one hundred and twenty-nine, and that was a hundred, and then right. So even if you had ten million 30. people, that's three hundred million dollars. That's like nothing for Apple, you know. Yeah, but I don't know. And um, the other, well, the other weird thing is that they don't, they don't, li- they don't serialize it. You know, it's not uh-huh. like you have a, you get a serial number like like uh, Windows. So it's you know, it's yeah. easy enough to. Well, they can do that because pirate. no one does it except for, uh, except for. Well, I guess no. You're right. You could you could grab the disk from me, say, and install Lion. Exactly. No, yeah. no serial number, no account, no yeah. nothing. Right. Um, I don't know. We'll see. Because they know it's all locked down to the hardware. Anyway, it's just, it's, it's, uh, it's an interesting thing. Yeah. Kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, so last Friday, it was Friday, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you and I had that crazy shoot. Oh, totally crazy. Well, <laughs> not really crazy. <laughs> it was so crazy, man. Holy cow. <laughs> yeah. Old people. <laughs> Don't get me started. <laughs> they were pretty interesting old people, though. Sure. Um, but the, 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 the husband and wife were very sweet. and then uh, But they were telling us a story. And the reason I bring this up mm-hmm. is that... Uh, so just a quick update for these people. So we went to shoot um, this couple uh, for this magazine. Uh, they had lost their daughter to AIDS about 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, while we were sitting there, we set up, we got there early. Apparently, there were some mixed signals on the timing. So we were all sitting around the kitchen table with the husband. And uh, the husband was telling us a story. And he said that uh, they had two daughters, uh, he and his wife. And as he and his wife had known each other for, what, 75 years or something? I think he he said they were from the same neighborhood in Brooklyn. And uh, he was a couple years older than she was. So they knew each other from the neighborhood and... You know, from going to school together and all that other stuff. Yeah, and they were friends um, all through, like, growing up in high school and stuff. And it wasn't until he was in the service, he got Korea, uh, he, right? he got drafted and was in the Korean War, and he was, you know, corresponding with, with this, you know, with this friend from back home uh, via letters, and one of his army buddies is like, wait a minute, you, you know, this letter came from a friend of yours? It sounds like more than a friend to me. And he's like, oh, you know what? I never really thought of it that way. And, and I guess that was all it took for him to... Uh, yeah, and he came back and he uh, he proposed to her. Yeah, and they've been together ever since. And it was it was a that part of it very sweet story. Very sweet. 
um, it, it made you feel good. And they've been married for like 55 years or something. Something absurd yeah. like that. Yeah. So that was interesting. Mm-hmm. But then they tell us the down, the downside of all this, right? So they had, they, they had two, two daughters, uh, age 21, the younger one gets in a car accident at college and dies, correct? That's I what it so. was, right? Sounds, sounds so. So right. they're a Jewish family. So while they were sitting Shiva, which for those of you who don't know is sort of like this mourning period the Jewish people do after somebody dies in the family, was it usually like three days? Well, I, it, it, there's a whole used bunch to be. Of it depends it. how um, serious you are. It, it really ultimately it boils down to it ultimately boils down to how committed you are, like what level of. Uh, of, Judaism, uh, you know, Judaism, you know, Orthodox versus Jewism. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely inter- interpretations to the rules, right. but the, you know, when you say you're sitting shiva, that means you're mourning. That's, right. that's pretty much the long and the short of it. So <clears throat> they're at the house uh, mourning their younger daughter, and uh, a bunch of uh, the whole idea is that people come by and they bring food. It's like a big thing. Yeah, it's like a wake. Yeah, it's like an extended wake, and um, so a friend of the daughters or whatever shows up with some guy friend of hers they pay their respects uh the older daughter is there and meets this guy who was with the friend and they hit it off and they they start dating mm-hmm. and it turns out he is a iv drug user like you know mm-hmm. in his spare time mm-hmm. and uh he gives her aids mm-hmm. and she dies two years later yep so in three years, they lost both their daughters in their twenties. Yep, they're only children. Yep. Um, Sad stuff. Yeah, it was that was pretty rough. Like when he was yeah. telling us the story, like I, that really was upsetting to me. Yeah, well, it's an upsetting story. I mean, it's, it's, that's that's it's very tragic. Right yeah, yeah no, it's, it's terribly it's, tragic. And but here's the thing that gets me: mm. the fact that the entire time, like a number of times during the shoot, you heard them say look at what our kids are still giving us from the other side. Yeah. They're constantly giving back. I think is what he said. Yeah. That like the fact that we were there to take their picture for this magazine and they did an interview and, and, uh, this woman is very, very serious in the AIDS community. And so she, she's, you know, met with president Clinton a bunch of times. That whole story about how, how, you know, so, so his wife, um, you know, the wife of the couple that we're talking about, um, you know, in the in the eighties and nineties, she was a, a very um, active activist. She was very uh, active in the in the AIDS awareness uh, community, um, and I guess she got this opportunity to to help. You know, I, I don't help put together, or, or she was involved somehow in in, in uh, President Clinton's uh, AIDS team or AIDS task force or AIDS. I think it whatever. was the AIDS Congress, the first world know, AIDS yeah. Congress. But sometime in the, in the nineties, you know, when, when AIDS really kind of hit its, hit its stride, um, you know, the government got involved and, and Mr. Cl- you know, president Clinton basically called around and said, Hey, I need to put together, you know, a, a team of these people, of people who can get, get stuff done. And, and, and he said, you know, he was saying how her name came up. So and his, his little moral to the story was like, you know, the, none of this would have happened if, if our, if our kids, you know, if this hadn't happened to our kids. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, and while it's a sad thing, it's also a good thing. Yeah, no, it's, and it, so, I mean, it was just like this very, I don't know, that whole, that whole life story of theirs was just fascinating to me because you have, you have this couple that have known each other for their entire lives, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and if you stopped the fairy tale at when I came home from Korea, we got engaged and got married. Yeah. That would have been a fairy tale story. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and then 20 years later, after they have their kids, it's double tragedy within three years. Yep. But because of that tragedy, this woman kind of dedicates herself to being this activist and kind of changes other people's lives. You know, um, I guess I, I bring this up just because it's it's fascinating how you have no idea where your life is going to lead. Um, it's true. And then the other the other sort of takeaway is that uh, when you get when you get into the 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 world of uh, assignment based photography, you never know who you're going to meet. Yeah. You know, you really, I mean, there's no telling, you know, you, you work with a magazine or a publication of some sort and they're like, okay, we need you to show up at this time and here's the name of the person that you're going to be working with. And we need a shot of them sitting and a shot of them standing and a shot of them together and give us two different options. And that's all you get, you know? Yep. And then, but you know, you show up and you don't know if this person is, is, is going to be, you know, happy, sad, fat, ugly, black, white, you know, whatever. You, don't yep. have, you have no idea what to expect. I mean, go, don't get me wrong. You could do some research. You can Google them. and But you have no you, idea where the location but, or, yeah, or what but, the weather's going to be like or the lighting true. or whether and, or not they're going to have a black eye because they hit their head somewhere. Or, you know, right, or what if, if there are going to be mirrors all over the wall. Yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, the point is it can be really, you know, that's that for some people that's that's a terrifying prospect, you know, not knowing if, you know, what, 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 it, uh, what to expect and if you're going to be able to get your job done. But uh, on the flip side, some people that that's that's the whole point. Like that's what yeah. makes it worth doing because the environmental uh, portraiture to me is is fascinating. Yeah. I like trying to figure out things. But you know, I'll tell you, meeting people. I mean, I work for a number of different magazines, but for, for some reason, the stuff for Pause, mm-hmm. I tend to meet the more interesting people. Well, that's not a coincidence, man. No, I, I mean, guess I mean these people have been through a lot often. Yeah, or yeah, it's true. Um, yeah, you know, you shoot stuff for for Business Week, and it's like, oh, this guy's made billions of dollars doing yeah. X Y Z. Great, he Eight. wears a seven thousand dollars suit. You know, yeah, he works in a tall building. Yeah, awesome. Um, <laughs> but then you meet people like that, and you hear stories like that, and you know, you and I were sitting there, mm-hmm. and we'll probably remember that story for the rest of our lives. You know, it's a good story. Yeah, um, I don't know. So there's there's something about that. People always ask me why I shoot portraits, and and I think that a lot of it has to do with that part of it. Mm-hmm. That meeting different people, meeting new people is a huge part of why I do what I do because I find it fascinating and hearing their stories and getting them to open up to me and, 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 and allowing me to take good pictures of them. Hopefully, um, it's, it's, it's a challenge that is as much on, it's, it's like there's, it's on me, but it's, it's like if you're a landscape photographer, street photographer, it's just there's a lot more like preparation and it's like you against this brick wall of, you know, uh, nature or sure. you, you against the chaos of the world. Sure. Uh, so portrait photography is kind of somewhere in between, you know, where like you, you have some control, but you don't run the whole thing. It's true. Um, so yeah, I just, I just thought it was interesting that we, we had that little story. No, I, uh, yeah. And I, I do enjoy working on those shoots as well. Yeah, it was, uh, it was funny, but then we had to shoot four people, in one shot, which is always a hard thing to do. Yeah, groups are always tricky. Oh, it's 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 uh, yeah, surprisingly difficult. And then what? One of them said, "You know, if you're a good photographer, shouldn't you be able to take just one picture?" <laughs> did you hear that comment? <laughs> I did. And you know, in the old days, that was kind of how you had to do it. Yeah. I mean, you only had so much film. You yeah. know, here we go. One, two, three, <laughs> and we're done. <laughs> Hope that came out okay. Hope yeah. nobody blinked. Yeah, well, that's the thing. And funny, it's funny because I came back and I was playing with the pictures because I haven't sent them in yet. And um, they're one of the best shots, like 
has one of the women is blinking. Okay, well, you just... But there was one right next to it that was almost identical but with her eyes open, so I I grabbed her eyes off of that one. There you go. It's a nice thing about doing, uh, like, editorial photography but not journalistic photography. Right, there's a little bit of flex. Yeah, I can can swap the eyes out. (laughs) Um, Anyway, interesting stuff. Yep. so uh, you know, I've 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 just a quick update on my little printer thing. Oh yeah, how uh, you liking the three thousand? Uh, it's good. Um, although you know, it's interesting. I've used a lot of. I mean, I haven't printed that much. Like mm-hmm. maybe I've printed twenty or thirty things, mm-hmm. but a lot of my inks are like halfway gone. Mm. I wonder if that's a first time run thing. Yeah, that's. I mean, I guess that's my question. Uh, I ordered. Um, like the blacks are going fast and the light, light magenta is going fast. Hmm. So I ordered new ones of those just to have as, you know, backups or whatever. Sure. Um, I thought you said it was cheaper to buy a whole full set though, wasn't it? Uh, it ends up being actually the same price when you really add it up. Ah. The cheapest price I can find is $27 a cartridge. Thanks. That seems a little steep. Well, they're, but they're 28 milliliters or whatever it is. So oh, they're they're a lot bigger than say the 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 twenty eight eighty cartridges. I right. think they're actually three times the size of the twenty eight eighty cartridges. Right, which are, I think average about nine or eight or nine dollars each. Yeah. So so you're basically paying the same amount per milliliter. You're just getting bigger cartridges, so you don't need sure. as many around. Sure. Um, so yeah, I guess my question is whether or not it's the first time thing. Um, I had my friend Randy uh, was looking for a new printer. He had a. Uh, a 1900 an r 1900 oh yeah yeah those are great yeah but that's like eight or nine years old at this point yeah so the problem he had though this is really interesting so he doesn't use it all that often but he had a lot of ink sitting around you know for clients or whatever he makes prints mm-hmm. um and then a few a couple weeks ago he goes to make a print it stops printing in the middle of a picture and a warning comes up on the screen and it says your epson printer has reached the end of its usable life buy a new one <laughs> What? Really? The Epson driver said that. Hilarious. Isn't that weird? No, it's Have you weird. Ever heard but that? I, I, you know, well, here's the thing. I know that the soft, the printer, the printer keeps all kinds of interesting little um, records, yeah. logs, and stuff like that. So it knows how many prints it's made. It knows how much ink it's used. How many sheets? Uh, you know, all this other, you know, random stuff. Right. Um, and I guess. There's a certain point at which the, it, the yeah, score it, trips over to zero. Yeah, I guess. I guess you know it doesn't surprise me. I mean, I've never heard of that exact one. What I have heard of is, um, you know, how those cartridges, all of the uh, Epson ink cartridges, at least in the past, I don't know, chips on them. years have little yeah tags on them which report their like date of manufacture and their authenticity and this that. Although there are, there's also a whole aftermarket of. You know, people who can you, there's a gizmo yeah, you can update get that, the you chips. Can, yeah, you can Reset actually them. reflash them and, and set them to whatever you want. Um, but um, but yeah, I, I've had issues where we'd buy some ink, uh, and even though the the date on the box was still current, the the printer would think that the that the that the cartridge was old. And I've, date, I've had that problem with it. on with my HP, and it was really obnoxious. Super frustrating, right? Because like if the ink is working fine, I, it, yeah, no, that's really annoying. In fact, yeah. that's one of the problems with the HP. That I, the reason why I bought the new one is that I would sometimes buy cartridges that were already expired by the time I was going to use them. Yeah, and it's cool. kind of like really 
Like yeah. that's just that's ridiculous when these things cost thirty dollars a piece. Seriously. Um, but one so Randy got this. Asked me what I got, and I told him I got this R three thousand, and I said, you know, the diff- the price difference between it and the twenty eight eighty is made up by the inks that you get. So you get three times the ink that would cost right. you a couple hundred bucks, and that's the difference in price. So you might as well get the better one. Right. So he went and he got it, and it was working fine, and then. Two days ago, he emails me and says, hey, do you ever have this error? It's telling me that, like, my ink cartridges are, like, in the wrong. Basically, yeah, suddenly, like, suddenly after working fine for two weeks and and they're all in the right slots, it was saying one of them was wrong. Huh. And to put a, a, like, fix it. Hmm. And he's like, but they're already in the right slots. Hmm. You ever hear that? This is in the 1900s still? Uh, No, this is the 3000. Oh, no, I haven't heard that one. Weird, right? Yeah. Um, um, the closest thing I've heard of that, that sounds similar, and I, and I ran into this all the time with the 2880s, is um, you'd load the you know you'd load the the thing up with new ink, and then it would it would complain like the the little the the printers had three buttons on them with LEDs over them, and the the one with the ink drop icon, okay, its light would just flash green quickly, which means that uh, there's something. There's a problem with the ink, and then what would normally happen is you open up the little, you know, you flip the top of the of the printer, and then you look at the little, the little ink caddy thing, and then one of the ink cartridges uh, would have a little red LED next to it, flashing, telling you which ink was the problem. But the problem, idiot proof, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and when it works, it's, it's it's great. But in this case, it wouldn't tell you which ink was the problem. Oh, that's annoying. So what we wound up having to do. Um, and I, I, I found out this out the hard way is you basically have to take all of the cartridges out and then you basically put them back in one at a time. Uh, and then eventually it'll, you'll, you'll figure out which of the ones is the, is the troublemaker and half the time at least, or more than half the time, uh, almost every time it wasn't any of them. They just sort of needed to be reseeded, which is really annoying. Well, you know, and I said that to him and I, and I was thinking to myself, you bought this two weeks ago, I think from Adorama. Uh-huh. It gets into this question of okay, do you a let's say there is a problem with the printer? Do you talk to Epson and they'll send you like a refurb or whatever, or do you yeah. just bring it back to Adorama and be like, I got a lemon, give me a new one? Yeah, well, the problem is either in either of those situations, it's not a solution because it's going to happen again. That's a, it's. I think it's a flaw, a flaw or a fault uh, of of the printer itself. Interesting. That's my thought. Because I, I, I mean, I'm speaking from my experience with the 2880. Because the first two two times that happened to me uh, at Detouch, um, I, I didn't know what to do. You know, I, I followed all the instructions. I had a guy on the phone. We went through, it and he's like, "All right, well, we can't figure it out. Send it back. We'll send you a new one." I'm like, "Okay." So we did that twice. And then the third time it happened, I wasn't super busy, and I'm like, "You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna play around with this for a minute." And, and I have tons of ink cartridges in which to waste. <laughs> it's true, and I did. Um, what do they so, buy them in bulk? Yeah, we well, we used to buy them by the dozen, um, just because we, you know, we sent out three. Yeah, yeah, no, it's just interesting. Um, so, um, so yeah, and I was able to figure out that uh, that technique of uh, you know putting them all back in one at a time, and you know it took like half an hour to to you know to wait for the printer to you know to to register and two through fifteen dollars of ink. Every no, time it didn't. It, it didn't use the entire cartridge. Um, the, the the but actually, you know, in a way, it saved ink because you you weren't throwing them away. You were just inserting them and you know reinserting them basically so it actually wound up working out but it was it's still not a fun thing to have to deal with you know that's a good question with the 3000 because 
I guess with the 2880, the cartridges are actually on sort of the head caddy, mm-hmm. where in the 3000, they're actually like they're they're stationary and there's mm. tubes that go over to the heads oh right right i've never i've never really worked i never had to troubleshoot one like that right so i wonder if i wonder if it actually is uh, i'm getting back to the ink usage question mm. if the lines once they're charged are using a third of the cartridge and then when the cartridge runs out the lines are still charged you know what i mean right. yeah so it could be that like a third of the cartridge is is tied up in the lines from the first time you plug it in yeah um it's, I don't know. It's just these printers are interesting stuff, and I still can't decide if it's better for ink usage to keep it turned on or to turn it off when I'm not using it. Because it seems know. like if I don't use it for a day or two and then I go make a print, it takes like a minute for it to like get back up to speed, <laughs> mm. which is very very odd. Gotcha. I don't know. Just interesting. So I'll you know I'll keep you in the loop. Fair enough. Um, did you see this movie Hugo? I did. In 3D. What'd you think? It was all right. It's fun. A little long, a little slow. Yeah. Um, I, I have a. I, I think it's safe to say now that I've seen you know a fair number of 3D movies. My tolerance, my my brain and eyes tolerance for wearing the glasses and you know doing the 3D thing, um, is is not as high as as Hollywood would like it to be. <laughs> uh, I think two hours is is pushing it. Yeah. You know, I think the Pixar films, I think I saw Up in 3D, and uh, that was fun. Um, but, uh, yeah, o- over over 90 minutes is, is a little much for me. I think the only movie I've seen 3D in the theater was the uh, Coraline. Oh, yeah, that was also interesting. I think they overused it a little bit in Coraline. They did. They certainly did. They it ended it. up being a little too 3D, and it kind of gave me headaches. Yeah, me too. I would agree. I, uh, you know, I'll, I'll take a nice... 1080p thing you know or a nice like high res 4k projector right over 3d any day yeah or imax Um, yeah or or a tasteful 3d approach yeah like i think the way pixar does their 3d stuff they don't rub your face in it you know it's just a nice it's a nice subtle and and, then you know i think avatar also did it pretty i didn't see avatar in 3d oh okay well it was was pretty i mean of the of the long format you know big big budget you know, effecty type Hollywood blockbuster type movies, he could have gone nuts with it. Um, and I guess he did maybe in one or two instances. I have, I've only seen it the one time, so I can't remember all the scenes. But um, I do remember walking out of there thinking, wow, that was probably one of the best, like, um, implementations of this that I've seen to date. Well, did you um, like Avatar? As a movie? Yeah. No. As a, as a film spectacle? As a as a as a techno- technological achievement, I thought it was really cool. I thought okay. he did a great job. It was it was pretty, and there was some really interesting uh, ideas. And I I like this, you know, the 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 design, a lot of things. I like the the military, just, you know, the ships and and the weapons and stuff like that. I thought that was kind of cool. I, I like the way they played with uh, scale, you know, with the the aliens being so much bigger than the humans and stuff like that. Sure. And they did a really fantastic job of compositing. I mean, that was some really really good, great looking work. Right. But as far as the story is concerned and, you know, all of the acting and what have you. It's your like, usual James Cameron fare. Like, yeah. No Although True Lies was a good movie. <laughs> really? I like True Lies. Okay. Um, I guess I bring, I, part of the reason I bring this up is that Hugo obviously used a lot of digital sets. Because mm-hmm. there's no way that you're going to make a station that size for real. 
you know, and they're sure. not going to shut down a train station and make well, it look that good. Not to mention, I mean, the train station. Well, what about all the those like fly throughs, all those gears and yeah, clock yeah, yeah. towers and all that crap? I mean, exactly. Right. Yeah. I mean, obviously, there were some physical sets, but I'd actually like to do a little research and see if I could find some behind the scenes stuff. I'd like huh. to see some raw footage with the green screen still in place, you know? Sure, sure. Um, you have to buy the DVD, man. I'm sure it's in the extras. Yeah, it's true. Um, but even like looking out over Paris. And it's always it's always like absolutely gorgeous, perfect sunset over Paris outside. Yeah, um, and it's, it, I guess it's interesting to me because filmmaking. I mean, this is that was Scorsese, right? Who made that movie? Yeah. Okay, yeah. so even a guy like Scorsese is now using digital stuff to tell stories. I mean, to, to the point where like that movie wouldn't be what it was without that technology. Um. Well, I could argue that if if someone had written that script and wanted to tell that story 20 years 10, ago. Year, 10 20 years ago, it would have been fine. And if it was Scorsese, it probably would have been fine. Yeah, but I don't know that it would have looked as pretty. Or the question is, do people expect that now? Like, if you did it on a smaller scale, would it have done as well? What do you I mean, mean done as well? You mean made as much money? Yeah, I guess actually that movie lost money. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't. I don't tend to, to 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 base the success of a movie on its financial merits. I, I you know I I think what what makes a good successful movie to me is one that has me thinking about it. You know more than after half an hour after watching it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Well, the, here's the thing. I was watching the Grammys last week. Uh huh. Um, and uh, the what's his name, Dave Grohl. Uh huh. Got up and because they won the Grammy for best rock performance or whatever. Who's they? The Foo Fighters? Uh, Foo Fighters. Oh, good for them. Okay. So apparently, so he gets up there and he goes, you know, when we started this record, uh, we could have gone to the best studios in town and, you know, spent months doing this, that, and the other thing and using all the latest technology. But instead, we set up in one of our garages with a tape machine and this award just shows you that you don't need all that stuff. You know, it was like kind of a, sp- a little bit of a speech. Mm-hmm. And I guess I'm wondering if there is a pushback about the use of technology in the arts now. Like like if there will be a point at which people say, I'm sick and tired of all this uh, rendered stuff in the movies. I want two guys with a camera and a reflector. And you know what I mean? Or whatever it is. I know what you mean. I, I don't, I mean... As far as I'm concerned, that there is constantly a pushback. Well, um, I, the way I see it is, is there's a if you think of the evolution of technology as a as a wheel, as a spinning wheel, or, or like a merry-go-round or something spinning like that. Spinning wheel, right? Yeah. yeah. There's always somebody, you know, depending on how old you are, or more more relevantly, um, how where you got on, you're going to go around the wheel a couple of times, and so when you first get on. Technology is is in position, you know, A, and then once once you go around, it's it's evolved to position B, and it's safe to say that after you've been on the wheel for a few times, you're going to get either inspired or burnt out or 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 psyched or confused or what or you know and something every and every my point is every time the wheel goes around, something new gets introduced because that's just the way it works. You know, there's oh now we do it this way, well, okay now we do it this way. So depending on how long you've been on the wheel. And what your experiences have been, you're always 
you know, there's always going to be a point in time where you're like, oh, you know what? I'm I, this this sucks. I'm going to go back. I'm going to look at the old way. Let's yep. let's yeah, let's sure. take a look at. Or I'm going to go back to the way I did it the very first. And that's time the I got when the people wheel. get nostalgic about film exactly. or whatever. And it, right. it, you can you can almost call it like um like fashion. You know, like sure. the fashion of technology, where it's like sometimes. You know, despite the fact that there's this really terrific, fantastic, super easy, quick new way of doing this, uh, you're not you're burnt you're burnt out on that. You know that doesn't appeal to you. You're like, you know what? I want to do it the old fashioned hard way. You know that's why there's some people out there who chop wood with with axes and stuff like that. It's true as, as opposed to chainsaws. Well, you know, you know well Dave Grohl, I kind of finished this speech by saying it's not about what's in here pointing to like his head. It's about yeah. what's in here pointing to his heart. You know, uh, the idea that is to his his crotch. Yeah. Well, the idea being that. Somehow, if you're using technology, uh, his implication was that there's less heart in something that has been worked over with the latest tools. Bah. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Whatevs. Um, but I just thought, but I mean, people were clapping very loudly for that. Like they're not going to clap. Come on, dude. Yeah, I guess you're right. I just, it's just, it's <laughs> an it, award show. Yeah, yeah, there's yeah. Lights but telling no, them no, no, there's, do. there's claps, but there was like a, there were cheers. Yeah, for yeah, what he was saying, yeah. and I was kind of like, like Dave Grohl, man, I like him. I no, like he's he all right. It was funny because uh, uh, um, McCartney got up there and sang this the end, like the the trilogy from the other side of Abbey Road, from the second side of Abbey Road, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and at the end, the they had a bunch of people come out, guitarists played, and like they were all cutting heads, you know, like oh. trading trading little little lines. Uh-huh. And uh, Springsteen was one of them. Hmm. Springsteen's not that great of a guitarist. I don't think he ever was. Yeah, but he's up there with Dave Grohl and like all of McCartney's like studio, you know, monster player guys. Well, right. Yeah. I mean, th- those and, are two different kinds of dudes. Though. And Abe Laboreal's back there playing drums. Oh yeah. Man, he's killing. I'll bet that guy kills. Well, you know, he's playing for Paul McCartney, dude. I think Paul Paul McCartney can uh No, have have the good players. I know. Yeah. It's just fascinating to me that like that guy's just he's just so big, you know, he's like this big black guy and he just kinda like beats the hell out of the drums. I like watching him play. For sure. Uh, it's like the kit is smaller than him. You know? Well, I, I guess. Anyway, uh, so so the yeah. Hugo thing is I I just I think it's interesting that we're getting to the point where it's sort of like instead of the digital stuff being the spectacle it is now almost universally used. You know? Well, yeah, I think I think every director. Um, here's the thing, man. You have to also take into consideration the the the, the Hollywood system, right? Yeah. Um, so there's this weird blend, or there's this weird inter- interaction, like the way these things kind of pieces fit together from the people who are. And this is a this is one of my bigger issues with with the state of art 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 and technology right now is that <clears throat> um, the, mo- the, the you know there's a money thing the money factor um, so so many films uh, are passed on or are not being made because the guys who have the money to make these films are you know are smart <laughs> you know investors and they're looking at these things as as returns on their investments mm-hmm. and they're like you know what i i don't see it you know i can't i can't really afford to take the chance to put my money on this idea of yours because i i can't guarantee you know i don't i can't guarantee that it's going to uh it's going to make my money back has that always been um, the way though yeah i think so i mean yeah. for the past 50 some odd years anyway i mean right. that's that's generally how it goes but, so what you know, in some is, ways it was the same even before it's just that people didn't it wasn't a capitalistic thing it was just super rich medici families giving money to people 
Well, yeah, if you want to go that far back. But anyway, my point, and, and you could say the same thing about music too. I mean, in the old sure. days, that, that's the, the way the record label system worked too. Is like we're looking for from 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 the studio standpoint, be it a music studio, you know, record label, or a movie studio, they're basically, um, you know, in, investment banks or whatever you want to call it, where they're they're just looking for new fuel for their fire machine. You know, sure. they're looking for like for their investment machine. They're basically saying, okay, well, every time we get um, this kind of fuel and we put it in, we get this much back from it. Right. So we need to, we need to find the ones that have the most energy that, you know, that have the biggest return. Um, and that doesn't always, unfortunately make, you know, make for the best as far as quality is concerned. Sure. A lot of times it does. I mean, in the best cases it does, you know, like they get this, this tremendous creative person and they, uh, are able to make this terrific, you know, piece of art and it makes a ton of money and everybody's happy. But unfortunately, that um, that is not the norm. That is, you know, that's far from the norm. That's that's it's pretty rare. You know, it's kind of sad. Um, it is. It's a little sad. It's, it's, it's like I said. That's that's kind of one of the reasons why um, I, you know, I'm a little. Well, I don't get into it now. But the point is, uh, once you understand how that system works, um, the reasons why these sorts of things happen becomes a lot clearer. Sure. And and so my hunch is. Um, so, you know the, the the company that pays for Martin Scorsese's uh, films got some sort of a deal uh, or some sort of you know someone higher up basically want really want you know he's like 3D is the thing we need to you know everybody needs to make a 3D thing this will make us this will make us the next you know big batch of money uh, and so they, they they basically they have these crazy calculations it's like all right well we take the 3D thing and then we plug in this name this name and this name. Yeah. And and if we do it with this, you know, it's it's like a it's like some sort of a weird, you know, algorithm. Um, yeah, some sort of a weird formula. And then once they get enough of the right, you know, components, it's just a question of choosing the right time to execute it. You know, like when do we release it? Is it a Christmas thing? Is it a summer thing? Is it whatever? You know, and then there's some strategy as far as you know the timing is concerned. But even then, it doesn't even matter because they still make tons of money. You know, licensing it to cable TV channels and printing yep. up dvds and stuff too so i don't know the, the problem i have with with that stuff is is that it's it's a little there's still a little too much money you know money driven um for me well um, now on the on the on the plus side i think that is slowly but surely starting to change because of like the the distribution the in- stuff the internet and all yeah, that because the indie factor uh, yeah. i think what's happening now is because the the tools have gotten so good and the process has become progressively less and less expensive people are going to be able to make their own stuff for for yeah. less the the problem know? with that is that they're going to make their own stuff for less but they're going to make less on it so whether or not they can actually make a living doing that well that's where things like you know kickstarter and and sure. other you know other crowd support i mean look at the louis yeah. ck thing you know that's, yeah but louis ck was famous before he did that's that. fine someone famous ha- you know someone had to start that ball sure. rolling he, he <laughs> essentially proved a point sure uh, and that's huge so I think you know, and then you know, you can make you can make analogies to Radiohead with their Rainbow True. album. Same um, thing. Yeah, very similar. And and the fact that these things are even happening at all, let alone succeeding, is is a very positive sign. And I think it's just a matter of time before I was I can't remember who I was listening to. Someone was talking about how if you fast forward in the future in twenty five or fifty years, uh, it's all going to change, and everybody's going to have their own show. You know, everybody sure. is going to, you know, just you're not going to you're not going to watch, you know, these other channels. You're just going to watch each other. Everybody's going to be watching each other from their home. That's very <laughs> creepy, isn't it? Funny. I thought it's funny. Well, you know, uh, that Adele girl was singing, and I've been listening to her record a lot lately. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's very good. Um, and she well, can she won sing. like eight Grammys. Yeah, exactly. I hope it's pretty good. But, uh, you know, she apparently the, she had, uh, her, um, voice box, her, her vocal cords were bleeding as of last fall and she ended up having surgery to repair them. Ouch. Yeah. And this, the Grammys were the first time that she sang in public since then. Right. Uh-huh. She got up on stage and she sang and she sounded good uh-huh. in the grand scheme of the world, but still she shouldn't have been singing. Like as somebody who's, you know, a trained musician, I'm telling you, she shouldn't have been singing. Um, there were notes that like she wasn't hitting, she wasn't putting air through because she was scared. You know what I mean? She didn't want to push it because she wasn't quite ready. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of upsets me because she's such a great talent that it's kind of like, you know, if you can't sing this Grammys, I know it's 70 mil, 40 million people watching or whatever it is, but like, don't sing, like have a longer career. Don't blow yourself out like Steve yeah. Perry, you know? Sure. Um, and it's kind of like, you know, think career, don't think today. And you know that she has a team of 20 people around her who are just like, you're hot right now. You need to make all the money you can because you never know if it's going to be there tomorrow. And it's like, that's all true, but she's already made millions of pounds. Let her, you know. Yeah. It's it's like this machine that's driving her to ruin in some know, ways, yeah. you know. And that's it's a component of the big machine that I was just talking about. Yeah. The crazy money machine. It's and, sad. and, you know, and uh, we also watched this documentary the other day about the wrecking crew, you know, the all the oh, yeah. musicians sure. in the 60s. Good stuff. Yeah, man, those guys were monsters. And they played on everything. I know. Um, like tons of stuff. Television, movies. Yeah. Everything. And, all, and tons of hit records. Everything yeah. you've ever heard, like 90% of it was played by the same 20 guys, you know. It's pretty amazing. And girls. Um, just it's just crazy stuff. Uh, yep. Hey, quick question before we wrap up here. Uh, tell sure. me about uh, small soft boxes for speed lights. Okay, what do you want to know? You you have a bunch of different ones. What's what's the way to go? Well, I kind of want to buy one. Okay, well if you're let's see, is the Westcott? Well, it's t- it's it's a tough call because there's a lot of choices. Okay, um, I have a tendency to prefer the ones that are easily easiest to set up and tear down. Um, so, so in the grand scheme of, of soft boxes, um, the, the, my favorites include, uh, Chimera or Chimera, or Chimera right. however the hell you say it. Um, but their, their stuff is traditionally made for bigger studio, sure. or, you know, for larger strobes and stuff like that. But obviously there's no reason you can't put a small, a small light in there and they do make smaller sized ones. But they're pricey. Um, but the, the, the build the build quality is is second to none, and uh, they're pretty darn easy to put together and tear down. You you can leave the rods in there and, and the baffle. You know you can leave <laughs> everything in there and get it up and running in you know less than a minute. Yeah, but if you're looking um, for like a sixteen by sixteen or a sixteen by twenty, like that kind of size. Yeah, something small. I would probably steer you towards the 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 ones that are fold up the fold up ones. Sure. Um, that are similar to. Uh, uh, reflectors, you know, like the ones that kind of fold out. Yep. Um, I think the the brand name that makes them is Lastalite. Mm-hmm. Let me just do a quick Google here. Um, Lastalite is, right. is, the, yep. is the big name, uh, although there's a ton of knockoffs if you go looking on eBay, which I think are comparable um, and a lot less expensive. Um, but Lastalite, yeah, Lastalite makes this thing called the Easy Box. Okay. Let me just make sure. I'll hang on here for a second. Uh, soft boxes for easy as in E A S Y or as no. in easy echo zebra. Uh, hang on one second here. Oh, that's stupid. Um, 
apparently they spell it E Z Y <laughs> box. <laughs> that is awful. But uh, they come in a handful of sizes now, which is nice. When I when I last looked at this, there was only the small and the large. Now it looks like there's four or five different shapes and sizes, which is kind of cool. These are expensive. I told you they're not cheap. Um, where is this? Like that little one you have is one of these. It's the, the same design. I have the what would what would be the equivalent of their small one. So apparently they have a small square. Yeah, uh, so mine's more like sixteen by sixteen. They have a small, a medium, and a large. So eighteen. 18 squared, 24 squared, or 36 squared, which is great. And then they have two rectangulars, which is nice. Um, and I guess if you were to look at these uh, on, you know, on Adorama or B&H or whatever, they, they cost a couple hundred bucks or a little over a hundred bucks. Um, what's cool about them is that they flip out and fold out. You, you can get them up and running in really, really no time. And they fold flat, which is really handy so that you can stick them in a, in a bag or a case pretty, pretty easily. Um, the caveat is, um, with it, like with any softbox, is getting the flash oriented properly into the softbox uh, with studio strobes like white lightnings or, or um, you know, pro photo or whatever. Um, they have what are called speed rings. So the speed ring, I don't know why they call it that, but anyway, um, the speed ring is basically just the adapter. It's, it's the, it's the part that holds the softbox together and attaches physically to the, the strobe. Right. Uh, and every different flash manufacturer has, you know, a different design or style of, of, of attaching um, pro photos. I, I'm quite partial to because they have this really simple, easy kind of like a buckle system where you un, un like, you know, like those old rollerblade fasteners mm-hmm. where you kind of, or like ski boots where you kind of just flip open the buckle and then it gives you another, you know, a little bit of play. You slide the, the, the ring onto the head and then you buckle it down and then it's locked into place. Yep. Uh, alien bees and white lightning use uh, a, a, a four, a four pincer thing. Yeah. Yeah. Four prong, uh, you know, pressure, thingy where you know on the older models you had to physically unscrew them with your thumbs um and on the newer ones they're spring-loaded so you you slide the lever one direction which retracts the four little gripper you know corner things you stick the ring on it and then you let the lever go and then it grips them and holds them into place uh ellen chrome and uh speedatron use a two they, they put two pins on on the side you know on either side of the uh of the of the of the light where you know like pegs essentially where you stick you stick the thing directly on and then you rotate it you know sometimes just two or three degrees or in some you know fifteen I degrees. I like Pro Photos best. Yeah, I think Pro Photos are my favorite. Um, anyway, there's a whole bunch of different ways of doing it, but with a speed light, the problem is speed lights are super small and they don't really have the, the you know the, strength the, the strength to support. You can't physically attach the softbox to the light like you would with the studio strobe. So what you need is a bracket. So these things come with the speed ring, uh, which is you know a, just a generic sort of ring that the softbox grips onto. And then because the softbox is made out of this metal and elastic material, uh, not unlike reflectors, because uh, it can be folded up. It's got that kind of metal that metal frame with the elastic, you know, fab- fabric surrounding it. So you can kind of just, you know, bend it and clip it onto the, uh, onto the ring. And then the ring is attached to an L bracket, which then has a cold shoe on it, which you can then attach your flash to and adjust it appropriately. If you have a tall flash or a short flash and you can move it forward and backward, uh, and get the, you know, the head of the flash pointing nice and into the softbox. And then at that point it becomes one whole thing. The, the speed ring and the bracket are sort of united uh, and then you put that onto a stand or you hold it in your hand or, or whatever. Um, so that's what you're looking at. Um, and I've had really good luck with uh, the, the fold flat ones like we're talking about here, the last light ones. And if you go on eBay and you look 
for, yeah, there's a know, 24 by 24 buy it now for 75 bucks. Yeah, that's about right. I think when I got mine, I think it was like 50 bucks for the little one for the 16. Okay. So um, you're saying buy it used. Not not buy used. These are new. They're they're just from China. They're just no name. Oh, oh, no, no, no. There's actual last light easy boxes. Oh, no, no. If you continue to look, like do just do a more generic search. Just yeah. look for, you know, 16 by 16. You think they're you know, just as good? Um, I can't promise you that. I mean, you, you and I have both gotten things from China that have not been awesome. Yeah. <laughs> by the way, I, 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 you know, I got the Wi-Fi working on my Hackintosh with stuff from China. That worked great, right? Yeah. It's yeah. uh, but uh, so how does the how much does the hot shoe mount cost? That's like twenty bucks. Well, no, that's part bucks. of the kit. Well, this one, it's the it's the fifteen inch square with carrying case. Softbox only does not come with hot shoe mount. Ah, okay. Well, then you need to buy that bracket separately. Yeah. Um. Okay, so I so I basically that's what you have probably is fifteen by fifteen something like that. Okay, uh, yeah, I just wanted a little thing if I just wanted to, you know, if I just wanted to bring a single speed light and for a very small shoot. Yeah, no, the other thing that that really um, that, that's really nice are they make a slightly smaller one, um, which is actually like a fold up one, um, which I think they call. I'm trying to find it now, right, David Hobby uses them and i thought that was really really nice and i can't remember what it's, it's basically I, I i don't remember if it's the same brand or not um i think it's the same brand um but it's it's essentially like a little uh fold up like cardboard or you know plastic nylon something it, it, it it's solid though it's essentially like a little pyramid you know and i think the actual surface like the face the actual you know the 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 light surface mm-hmm. is we'll say it's about uh 10 by 8 by 10 you know or 6 by 10 inches right small yeah it's small um like what it, we used on that picture of tony yeah well though that's i that, that th- those were the westcott micro apollo those are more like four by six okay and i i picked up a whole bunch of those on ebay for super cheap uh and those are fabric and they have a wire frame so they're really like a baby. They're like made, they made them out of the same material that they make their big soft boxes. They're just they're just really small. Okay. And because they're so small, they can be velcroed to a strobe uh, without a ton of extra you know problems. You know they're they're lightweight and small enough, so it's no big deal. Um, so yeah, again with the with the with the strobe thing. Another actually another another nice one that I've had good luck with. Uh, Honel, you know H O N L. Uh, he makes something uh, that's a nice round one, which I kind of like for for if I want a round catch light. Um, he's got one that's an eight, it's an eight inch round, uh, circle that, that is sort of suspended about, you know, 10 or 12 inches out, out of the, out of the, uh, in front of the, the strobe, you know, I'll, I'll make a list and we'll okay. out so you can see what I'm talking about. All right. Yeah. It's good stuff. Uh, let's wrap this thing up. All right. Uh, we are circuitous conversations with Bill and Dan. You can find us at circuitous.tv, mm-hmm. uh, email circuitous conversations at gmail.com. And uh, we are at Bill Wadman and at Dan Gottesman on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have any questions or suggestions, uh, let us know and we will uh, love to answer them. Yes. 